1: Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street. And this is episode 161 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Connor Malloy about building an automated law practice.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, FreshBooks, and Ruby Receptionists. We love their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show.
1: So one of the things I love about our show over the last three years is how we've done, I think, a pretty good job of balancing... A variety of topical themes. So we've had lots of practicing lawyers talking about their interesting practice niches and we've had a number of leaders in the open access to law movement and the legal librarian movement talking about those topics. And we've had Ed Walters on a number of times to talk about robots. I don't think we've actually used the word robots between this episode and dozens. That's shocking because I think for our first 50
2: episodes, <laughs> it was like we mentioned goal. it
1: almost every time. Yeah, totally. I don't know where my one solo episode about Bitcoin fits into, <laughs> into these collections of themes. But another theme has been us trying to really engage with what's often called the legal hacker movement, which is really tech savvy lawyers who are doing their own software coding and tech projects to build tech tools. And that's where this one fits. And I think it's cool that we've got this mix of topics and that we recognize that in our community, there is a broad spectrum of tech savviness. And we certainly have our own thesis on the fact that small firm lawyers need to be somewhat tech competent, but we are not of the expectation that lawyers need to learn to code. But this is one for sure for people who do, this is for them. And even if you don't, I think there's some really cool ideas and projects to think about here.
2: Yeah, I think everybody's going to like this one, but there's a moment towards the end where Connor says, you know, I, I think everybody can do this stuff. And I think once you hear it, you'll realize that I don't think he's right. I don't think most lawyers can build their own and host their own secure MySQL databases full of client data and then access them using APIs and things. Like that's just not... I think I would struggle to do that. And that doesn't mean you're not going to enjoy this podcast, but I don't want people to think like, oh, you've got to. What's cool though is like Connor can do these things and it really opens doors to the way he can structure his law practice. So he doesn't have to go work on a word template he can go and build out a new you know system and code for serving his clients and so for what working on his practice means for him is different than what it might mean for somebody else Um, and I think it'll be neat to be exposed to how he thinks about this as opposed to how somebody else might think about
1: it. Yeah so sometimes we talk about meditation and sometimes we talk about (laughs) business and today we get to geek a little bit. And here we go.
0: My name is Connor Malloy, and I'm a partner at a two man law firm based in Chicago called Shy City Legal which is a firm dedicated to representing small and medium-sized landlords across Chicago.
2: Hey, Connor. Thanks for being with us today. So you said two men. So is it just you and your partner then, or uh, do you have staff as well?
0: It's just my partner and I. And then uh, I guess we have some staff because we do a virtual receptionist. And then I also have uh, an artificial intelligence that does a lot of my scheduling.
2: (laughs) Does your AI have a name? Yeah, it's Amy. It's from a company called X.AI. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So two humans, a virtual receptionist service, and a robot. That sounds awesome. Very 2018. (laughs) Try to keep it in 2018. And you said it's just landlords. Yeah, it's just landlords. The landlords that we represent...
0: And just to throw it out there, my partner's name's John Norcus, got to throw him out there. The landlords that we represent, though, they're probably the landlords that you would find that if they didn't have us by their side, they would usually just go self-represented in court.
2: Oh, interesting. So you're really targeting that the small time landlord.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we have anybody from, you know, it could be the pensioner, you know, renting the, the, the second floor in their two flat in order to make ends meet. You know, to somebody that maybe just honest to goodness came to this country with a little bit of money in hand, started investing in property and just living the dream.
2: I should offer by way of disclaimer here that I have always been a tenants rights advocate and I um, have strong feelings about landlords, but uh, I'll grit my teeth and bear it (laughs) and we can keep going.
0: (laughs) We're the same way. My uh, my partner, John, he he did a lot of his work when he first started practicing with the Lawyers Committee for Better Housing. Mm-hmm. And the way we like to fashion it, and John says this all the time, is that we're trying to tackle the housing crisis from our side. Yeah. And so if we can work in conjunction with the tenants' rights groups and things like that, we're going to make the, you know, the playing field a lot more level. And, uh, you know, hopefully avoid a lot of the conflicts and avoid court. That, that's one of the end goals here.
2: Well, say more about that. Say, how, how does that affect your approach to representing landlords then?
0: Yeah, so the, a lot of times the eviction, you know, some people just see it as, as a means to an end, and that, that end would just be evicting somebody. But the way we try to look at it, you know, sometimes you just got to evict somebody. It is what it is. But sometimes we just want to be able to heal the relationship between the landlords and the tenants. And you're in court. All right. That's your venue in order to resolve conflicts, at least the way it's drawn up. Uh, and we try to make the best out of it. And the vast majority of our cases, we end up settling uh, because we are able to find a middle ground. And if there's a lot of education of our clients on the process and just understanding uh, what where the other side's coming from, you know, and, and seeing if we can find something of a middle ground.
2: You know, one of the things that I have noticed in working on landlord-tenant issues, and and honestly, in in many other sort of consumer-level legal issues, is that most of the time people end up in court because they aren't talking to each other. That's exactly it. <laughs> you know, like uh, a land a landlord leaves a a letter somewhere, and um and the tenant just that that's the last thing they heard about it. And so they decide that it needs to go to court or or vice versa, you know, and and sometimes it, the problem is as simple as the letter never got to its destination. But sometimes it's just that people are making all kinds of assumptions about what the other person is doing or saying or thinking or intending. And, and there's either no communication or it's completely broke down. And is that your experience, too? But also, um, how do you kind of approach that and try to solve that?
0: And that's, and that's a big one. And my background before I partnered up with John, because he's the landlord-tenant guy, is I did a lot of family law. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, you had litigation that lasted a very long time. And, you know, there, there's a trust that's built up, you know, around the family versus just a contractual relationship between a landlord and a tenant. Uh, but that's the biggie, is once we get them summoned to court, you know, you walk through the courtroom. Uh, is so and so here somebody raises their hand can you come out in the hallway and talk with me you know do you know why you're here today uh, what are you looking to do and just open it up with an open ended question and you know that might be the first time the landlord heard something like i want to stay i you know i just need you know to be able to do this or to do that uh, it it's it's big just to you hear it from the horse's mouth and get people talking.
2: So let's talk about your client service model because that's that's what we're sure. here to chat about. And I, it sounds like what you've done is you've taken the less desirable section of the landlord market, right? Like big property management companies um, have plenty of firms willing to represent them. Um, you're going after lots of smaller landlords. And so like, how do you start thinking about how to do that effectively and, and for an affordable fee? Sure, so one
0: of the issues that you run into is when you're dealing with maybe a larger uh, management group and you have a certain amount of attorneys that are in probably that practice area, when you deal with the client, you're dealing with maybe one attorney, dealing with one property manager who manages hundreds and hundreds of units. Mm -hmm. So if those units are defaulting, you have a ratio of many units to one point of contact to be able to handle that. And so, all right, what's going on in our eviction cases? If you have to give them a debriefing, it's very easy to communicate all that. The issue that we run into is we have a very low ratio of you know, legal issues to points of contact. And so that's one of the big things that we need to bridge is you know, if we have you know, 100 active cases, we might have 90 clients. For those 100 active cases versus somebody might have 100 active cases and have one point of contact. Right. So, yeah, uh, you know, so the technology uh, that we employ, and it's really all off the shelf stuff uh, that we're seaming together and to be able to open up communication, increase transparency, and a lot of the people, it might be their first eviction. So, you really have to be hands on as you can without tying up the phone lines all day or bringing people into the office and and chatting about things that are pretty matter, of course.
2: So this is a bit of a tangent, but um, something you just said made me wonder. Let's say somebody is is dealing with their first tenant problem and they think they need to evict them. How do they find you?
0: We do a lot of online advertising. The other thing that we do is uh, we do a direct mailing. Hmm. So uh, just to give you a lay of the land, in Cook County every year, there's probably between, it's down now since the crisis, but it's down around maybe 25,000 evictions filed every year. Then when you deal with the daily Center, so right in Chicago, the amount of evictions there is probably about 80% of that. Hmm. But then you have as far as self-represented tenants filing cases, it's probably between 80 and 120 a
2: week. So as soon as a landlord files an eviction, do you send them a letter then?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the other thing that we do as well is for the people that we have uh, email addresses for that are going through this process, we manage it and a lot of the stuff is automated. We manage it so that we're constantly listening to the court activity to see where they're at so we can potentially intervene at any given point because we know a lot of uh, choke points or if somebody's not well versed in the process that we can intervene. And so it's a very, uh, I try to make this process as seamless as possible for us to just jump right into a case with like limited scope representation and document automation. I've had a call at nine twenty nine to hire us for a nine thirty court call. And we came in <laughs> you know, ready to roll.
2: So, so you're monitoring the dockets in general. And even if somebody hasn't already hired you, you may reach out to them um, based on a trigger that comes later in their, in their process.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. It, it, we're just so heavily intertwined with, you know, what's going on in Chicago that, mm-hmm. uh, a whole lot that gets past us. Is
2: that automated, or is are you um, every day combing through the court records to see what's new? Uh,
0: there's for the new cases. There's some, there's a high level of automation to to do the filtering. Uh, unfortunately, the state of technology in in Cook County really isn't. You know, as you said at the end of the conversation, 2018. <laughs> so uh you do have to have boots on the ground over at the daily center to be able to to pull that data off the computers and things.
2: So do you do that then or is
0: it somebody else? Sometimes I do it. Uh sometimes, you know, we we have we, every so often we we might get a uh like an intern that goes over and can, you know, bang away at the computers.
2: So, uh, okay, so back to the client service model, are you doing evictions for less than somebody who might be representing a big property manager? Or are you just having to deal with the fact that it's actually less cost effective for you to represent one person at a time because of all the extra communication you have to do?
0: You know, th- that that's a, that's a big thing. My, my partner and I were just talking about this last night. And, you know, for some of these very run-of-the-mill, you know, routine conversations that, you know, people always have the same questions. I'm going to start employing uh, uh, various chatbots that can deploy at certain instances so if people have questions, just see how far that takes them. Hmm. The model that we have, the pricing that we do, we sort of parse it out based upon the point they are in litigation. So it is, they are flat rates. So it covers, you know, depending upon the phase you are in, it covers unlimited amount of court dates and drafting paperwork and client communication and the like. But uh, what we're looking at is you know just trying to provide something that's affordable for people and it kind of is what it is to be able to you know to get in there. so we don't do sliding scales you know it, it's it's just one it's one price for people because we think we hit sort of a
2: sweet spot. Are you promoting it as? a more affordable arrangement than they might get if they went to one of the lawyers who's representing property managers? Without a doubt. Okay. That's what I was curious about. Yeah.
0: But the biggie is for people is, you know, speaking of the lawyers represent property managers, the biggie for us is because once upon a time in Chicago, they passed the Chicago Landlord Tenant Ordinance, which was, you know, it was designed you know very well to deal with the problem they were dealing with in the past, where you have slumlords and people were doing some pretty nasty stuff at their properties. And it was like the wild west. But Over time, you would have maybe some of these property managers, who knows, maybe they were sued out of business, but then some of them would get compliance people in and be able to adapt, right, to some of these more stringent uh, regulations. But the people that really couldn't adapt readily are these small, homegrown Chicago landlords. So the big thing that we look at for people is our subscription model where, okay, you're in court, that's how we found you. We're going to put that fire out, sort of like the emergency room. Deal with the, the triage. And then once we're out, we're going to try to put you on a subscription plan where you're going to pay, a, you know, it could be a few bucks per unit per month and be able to provide you with that compliance, provide you with those leases, all these other things so you don't get dinged under the ordinance. So it's taking care of people in and out of court, which I think is a bigger trend. Uh, and I know that there's some places that do this stuff on a macro level for sort of these prepaid legal services or sort of insurance. But um, we like to, you know, we just keep it very, very niche where I, I think we're pretty decent at what we do. And, you know, we hope that our, our clients appreciate, you know, especially the compliance stuff.
2: So you've mentioned you, you're doing everything from come in in the middle of a, a court case to um, pay us a subscription and we'll help you um, stay in compliance, deal with whatever comes up. I, I mean, what's what's the ratio? Like how many people... Are coming in on an unbundled service uh, basis or limited scope basis? How many people are coming in uh, to hire you to, to handle a court case, and how many people are on subscription? Uh, you know, kind of across your client base.
0: If I had a ballpark, it and I ran these numbers a while ago when we started doing some analytics, but. For cases that we're intervening on, that are, are brand new cases, and mind, you this is keep this keeps shifting because mm-hmm. our the clients that we intervene on are becoming clients that are giving us new cases. Right. So you know, it, 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 you keep seeing that 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 shift. But if you would have asked me six months ago, I probably would have said we're intervening on maybe two thirds of our cases, and one third of them are probably new filings.
2: Hmm. And then, how many subscriptions for the subscription clients?
0: At this point, we're covering, we're probably covering north of 300 units across Chicago.
2: And is that, I mean, is that like one or two clients or is that 150 clients? It's a lot of
0: clients. (laughs) So, you know, but, but yeah, we we have, but we have people that, you know, still small time landlords, I would say, you know, they might have like a couple dozen units.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, People get these, you know, somebody passes away and overnight you're a landlord, right? right? So, you know, That kind of stuff, or people fall into
2: these. Okay, so we've got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we come back. Uh, I want to hear about some of the tools and technology you're using to enable you to do this small landlord representation at scale. So we'll
1: be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Being a self-employed lawyer is hard enough, which is why dealing with your day-to-day paperwork on top of it all shouldn't have to be. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy-to-use cloud-based time and billing software that will help you work smarter, get paid faster, and become more organized. With FreshBooks invoicing, you can create and send polished professional invoices effortlessly in mere seconds. FreshBooks can set you up to receive payments online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. You can track your time either by using their mobile app or your desktop, meaning you'll always know what work you did, when you did it, and who you did it for. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're kicking off a project. To feel the full impact of how FreshBooks can change the way you deal with your paperwork, FreshBooks is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section.
2: Ruby Receptionists is a live, remote receptionist service that is dedicated to helping lawyers win clients and build trust one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's friendly, professional receptionists ensure exceptional client experiences by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, collecting new client intake, addressing common questions, making outbound calls for you, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. More importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. For a special offer, visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018 or call 844-715-7829. That's 844-715-RUBY. Okay, we're back. So we've talked about kind of the big picture, uh, how your, your various representation looks like between limited scope, full representation in cases, subscriptions. This is all based on you trying to be really, really efficient so that you can bring the price down to a rate where small landlords can afford. So what are some of the tools you're using to do this? And, and what does it actually look like for a client to work with your firm?
0: The, the big tool that we use for our practice management we use a Trello board. You know, I, I've had experience with various practice management tools. Even when I was waiting for my bar exam results, I, I created my own practice management tool in vb.net, uh, which worked for me for, for a while. But right now, because of the amount of cases that we're handling and the flow of cases, Trello just seems to be the, the place to go. Mm-hmm. But what's, what comes with Trello, though, on the back end, which really drives everything uh, as far as our infrastructure, is... And I know you and I have talked about this Zapier. Am I doing that right? Uh,
2: it is Zapier. Okay, I okay. believe because it is an APIer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we uh, that that's what drives a lot of things. So th- with the integrations that we have built in, uh, you know, you go on our website. You can draft an eviction notice for free, and that eviction notice, you you, you plug in your information. That thing's gonna go, you know, through a Gravity form, yeah, you know, that connects with Zapier. And then uh, reaches out to WebMerge, creates a document, then sends that document over to your email. At that same time, it's creating a a card on our Trello board where it'll set up a date that if it's a five-day notice, we'll reach out to you within five days, see if you need legal assistance. You know, and we can intervene and, and pick up from there.
2: You're doing the eviction letters as sort of a, a, a way to attract leads to your site, and then you can follow up with them and hope to make them into clients.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And because one of the things that we've noticed, obviously, it, it works for us. It's just a nice service to provide, though, because I have a lot of people that just use our website. You know, You see them come on there all the time drafting notices, and they mm-hmm. never want to use our services. But <laughs> what I know is that when they're out there in the world, they're not one of the people that we intervene on. And we find out that they either did no notice or their notice was deficient in one way, shape, or form.
2: Right. If they ever did become a client, then you've actually got a better client.
0: Yep. And we can walk right in the case. And I know, you know I can pull up the five-day notice, and I know we're ready to rock.
2: And so, uh, so let's say they, they bring you on after that. What are the, some of the tools you use during the ongoing representation? So one of
0: the things that we use for uh, our back end for all our data is I have a, a MySQL server kind of locked up. And when we're drafting documents, we use a form tool, DocSara.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's drafting all our documents. So that was a big one because we don't have any staff that's pumping this stuff out, is we had to make sure that whether we're drafting one complaint package to file with the court or 10, that we can just that we can pump these out. And, and we're wasting no time You know, with your classic copy and paste jobs.
2: So you've dropped a couple of things now that that the typical listener probably isn't aware of. You said you've got a MySQL server. Who's built that and who's maintaining it? The MySQL
0: server sits on Google Cloud.
2: Right, but who? I wouldn't even know what to do with that. And I bet a lot of our <laughs> listeners don't either. So I'm curious, what, what does that mean? What do you do with it? How does it work with your systems and, and who maintains it?
0: Sure, so what happens is, When data is coming through on these Gravity Forms and Gravity Forms, I love it because we use a WordPress site. You know, it's just there's so many plugins that you can do with it. The WordPress site is taking all that data. And that's the big thing is that once you get that data, to use it over and over again because otherwise you're just bogging yourself down with double, triple, quadruple data entry. It's taking it. And then throwing it into a MySQL database. So, you know, just it could be an Excel spreadsheet. It could be, you know, I was doing it with Google Sheets for but, a little but while. You've set that up. I set that up in the
2: background, yeah. And that's just the database that holds all of the form entries and associates all the documents with them so that when you need to deal with a client, you've got a database of all of the interactions you've had with them.
0: Right at my fingertips. And a lot of that stuff is constantly updating with the Trello board. So I have a lot of little triggers built into the Trello board. That just makes the the process uh, transparent to the clients.
2: How do you read the data off the off your server? Do you have a, a web based front end for it, or um, are you always interacting with it through something like Trello? Or how how do you find out uh, if you wanted to look out? You know, how many times has this person? Um, you know, filed something with us, how would, do, where do you go to do that?
0: So there, there is a call that we can do from a Google sheet. I, I don't like the stuff sitting out there on the Google sheet, but we can do a call, you know, just like a simple query to it. But um, the, the one thing that I had to do, especially to take it off the Google sheet is if that doc, Sarah program doesn't, you know, for the people that use it out there, it doesn't read off of Google sheets. It, it can't really pull off of the cloud in that way. So, since it sits inside of microsoft word you have to have a connector and that connector will just reach out to a you know a mysql or a sql server type of database in order to populate all of our documents
2: how did you know how to do that
0: uh, <laughs> i just kind of when i i don't know when i was 18 i did what everybody else did and i started learning microsoft access uh and
2: no, literally nobody else did that <laughs> <laughs> But I, I yeah, I, a because nobody uses Microsoft Access in the first place, and B because <laughs> nobody does that.
0: <laughs> but I come from, yeah, so I, I, I come from what a lot of people argue with me about this, the generation where it's that Oregon Trail generation, right? So I grew up. I remember my brother for a high school graduation gift, he got a Commodore 64, playing around on that thing, and when we got our first computer, playing around on that, building it, you know, building PCs through the '90s. And so all this stuff it's just kind of intuitive to be able to to do these patchworks. Obviously the people that are doing sort of high level stuff, you know, I I can't hold a conversation with you for more than five seconds, but you know, some of these little things where you, you get this what you see is what you get, say peer connectors and stuff that I can I can jive with.
2: So I'm curious, how do you ensure the security of the system? So uh, it,
0: the first thing is is when we're transacting data. On the website, uh, you know, if you were to go on our website, you're going to get the, the green certificate. You know, we had to pay the extra bit of money to be able to get the SSL uh, certificate for the website.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I feel pretty confident that our data is pretty safe when it's transacting through the website.
2: But that doesn't have anything to do with your MySQL server.
0: But then the, my, but the MySQL server itself is, is locked up on the back end. Yeah, I, I had to throw that in my, my brother, who's sort of a whiz with these things. Uh, he does odd jobs for computer work and everything. Helped me lock down the the SQL Server a lot better.
2: Gotcha.
0: Than off the shelf Google Cloud services.
2: So to bring it back to the bigger picture, um, essentially what you're doing day to day is um, you're you're collecting all the information you can from people who use your website, who hire you, and most of the representation it sounds like involves um, generating documents. And going to court. What if you just want to look up information about a, a customer rather than using it to generate a document? You know, like if I'm a Clio user, I can look at a contact record or a matter record that shows me everything that we've ever done on this case and um, all of the tasks, all the calendar appointments, all that stuff. I'm wondering if you, there's something equivalent in the system as you've put it together.
0: So, for the way that our Trello cards work, so if you have a legal matter, then it's going to come up as a as a Trello card. So just yeah, you know, and for people that don't use Trello. It's really just a computerized version of post-it notes. So you you click on that, or you do a search for the the person's name, and it, you know it's pretty it's pretty fast at, at grabbing that. You open up the Trello card, and really all we have is a, a sequence of either communication between my partner and I that that are on the cards.
2: So you use comments on the card for your internal communication.
0: Exactly, and then if we have to comment with the client, rather than opening up an email, we have certain uh, cues that we can put in a Trello card that the peer is listening for, and can draft an email. Actually, there's there's several ways that we do it because our clients have varying tech savviness. So for some of our people that don't have email, you know, obviously it makes life a little bit more difficult. But uh, or don't like email, uh, we can do our updates via SMS. But for the people that don't even have cell phones, and there's you know some of our clients are elderly. Uh, I set something up to be able to do a uh, a voice dial and give somebody a ring with an automated scripted message to let them know what phase we are in their case. That that goes out through Twilio.
2: Interesting. How often does your system need maintenance? As a somebody who is also a tinker, um, I've built some pretty interesting things on my own, but, um, but I often uh, come to the conclusion that I'm spending more time, you know, fixing broken connections and things than I'd like to. Are
0: we talking about how often it needs maintenance or how often I tinker with it? Uh, both. Okay. How often it needs maintenance? It's chugging along. I noticed one little formatting issue, for example, on one of our uh, automated documents that I, that I fixed yesterday. But as far as tinkering goes, it's just sort of a, a never-ending process for me because I'm always thinking of different features to to add on to it. Or, you know, like I said earlier with talk with my partner last night, for some of these communications with clients, well, let's deploy chatbots, you know, for, for these certain phases that they're at in the case and see if that takes care of that issue. So we're not getting calls on this stuff. You know, we'd love to talk with you, but if I can, if I can deal with an issue and, you know, you can deal with an issue just hanging out, you don't have to worry about getting a hold of me, uh, I think we I think we both come out better for that.
2: And are you checking with clients to see if they're happy about stuff like that? I mean, I know Net Promoter Score has become pretty popular. We've advised a lot of people to use that to find out. Because I think, you know, the, the push and pull is obviously, if it makes you more efficient, but it puts off your clients, then it's maybe not the best solution. So how will you know if that's happening?
0: The clients that will reach out will give us feedback on it. Uh, I used to work in the restaurant industry, and I remember talking with the owner one night, we we're watching some people walk out by the hostess table and she says, well, have a good night. How was your meal? And they said, Oh, great. And he says, see that they're always going to lie to you. You know? So <laughs> sometimes we, we, we just wait for somebody to you know, see one of our automated messages and say, you know, Oh, thanks for the update. You know? And, and this is just stuff that's, that's pumping out because the way we update people is the moment we open up a new matter inside Trello, there's about 14 different steps. Inside an eviction case, and we just click the box, and that's an internal information for us that we need in order to prosecute the case. But on the backside, it's informing the client that you know this has happened in the case or this hasn't happened in the case, this is when the next court date is, all that good stuff. We do probably run into borderline, uh, maybe too much communication. You know, maybe for some of our clients where they might have m- more units, they don't want. Something like that. They want it more aggregate, and I think that's what I'm going to work on next. Hmm. But that's that's a that's a biggie. But one of the other things that it does too is right from the Trello board, being able to generate invoices straight from the thing. So if something happens in the case, hey, this has happened in the case, and now you know, now to go straight to accounting software, we use Zero generate an invoice, send that out, and then get us rolling. So we're not having to mess around with. Jumping from system to system.
2: Well, and it's interesting because, you know, on the one hand, I I'm sure people are listening going, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And some other people maybe are thinking, well, that doesn't sound much like lawyering. What's interesting about what you're doing though is you are you're essentially programming a system for client service that delivers the same consistent level of client service across the board um, and has automated away some of the things that really aren't lawyering and aren't an effective use of your time so that you can focus on the stuff you do. And to the extent you're tinkering and fixing, uh, what you do is you're maintaining your client service machine, monitoring it and making sure that it continues to receive high marks from your clients. Because
0: here's what's going to happen, you know, because to take care of the back office stuff, if we can do that and and roughly automate most of it, I was at a conference not too long ago. And when you go there and you hear from people that are, are, are driving, uh, certain technologies. You have some people that are driving technologies for lawyers to employ, but then you also have another side of technologies that instead of lawyers employing it, sort of employees lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Uber model, and something that hangs over you. And, and that's what makes me nervous. It is I want to be able to find tools, and I want to be able to create little models. And that's one of the big things you know, that, that was so interesting with all the different, that, that Lewis M. Brown Award a lot of the different players that came into it.
2: So what is that? Most people don't know what that is. Oh, sure. So it's the American Bar
0: Association's Award for Legal Access. You know, Developing tools or developing new programs, things like that, to be able to... You know, I don't want to say it because... Well, I will say it because it just kind of gets played out, but it is an important thing just to deal with the justice gap and to deal with these legal access issues. So one of the biggies that they're looking for on the criteria is... It has to be replicable. So what I want to be able to do is create certain things and, and, you know, let people look under the hood to see how we do stuff, to be able to employ these in their own firms. You know, if you're a solo out there, all right, what about streamlining this one process? And then that helps make you just a little more tech savvy, efficient and competitive. It's coming where, you know, we're going to kind of be cogs in the wheel. Uh, to be able to to you know to meet a certain end, we go out to court in the morning. we litigate. you know we spend an hour or two in court and hash it out. And then we've got we've got to sort of decompress when we get back to the office and start churning things out. And the easier we can make that and get back into court the next day, uh, you know, and be home in time for dinner, That's a plus.
2: Well, very cool. Thanks so much for being with us today, Connor. I really appreciated getting kind of the peek under the hood of what you're doing. It was very interesting.
0: Thank you for having me. This was fantastic.